0: Hebrews chapter ten, starting in verse nineteen, you'll notice most of the songs we sang had a theme of perseverance. Uh, that's intentional. If your Bible's like mine, it has little titles above sections of scripture. And this one says a call to persevere, and uh, we we just want to pick up where we left off. So our author has just uh, told us about how Christ's sacrifice is better and all that that means, and now he's going to lay out one of the great benefits of that sacrifice. And he says this, starting in verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is His body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground and great... Contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. The sacrifice of Jesus that we discussed last week has done many things for us. It's provided us with the power to love God. It has provided us with the, the power to, to, to love others. It has provided us with the power to love what is right. Remember, we said the law can't do those things. The law can point you to God, but it can give you no power to to actually worship and to listen to God, but the sacrifice of Jesus is, has done these things. And, and because of that sacrifice, we've been declared perfect, even though we're, we're still in the process of being made holy, right? We, we discussed these things last week. His sacrifice has changed us. It's made us new on the inside. It's made us new on the inside. And, and because of this new identity, we can bear fruit. The Bible says fruit that that will last. That, that's the power of the gospel. It's done what the law never could. Now, that's that was our discussion last Sunday. Now, this week, I want you to see one of the great benefits of that discussion. One of the great benefits of this sacrifice of of Jesus, you see, because we've been declared perfect, because we are now blameless in Christ, because we 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 are uh, now perfect forever, the Scripture says, and we're being made holy. We have a newfound confidence in our standing with God. And in fact, maybe you didn't notice, but that's where this uh, section of Scripture begins and ends. I, I get, look at these two verses on the screen. Uh, it start starting in in Hebrews. 10, 19, and 20. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Now, what's the most holy place? That was where the presence of God was. You remember that, that how that worked, that the priest could enter in the tabernacle, but they couldn't go to the most holy place. The high priest was the only one that could go to the most holy pray, place, which was a visible presence of God, but he could only do it once a year, right? And so it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, that us, the normal guys, not the priest, the regular Worshippers, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that was opened for us through the curtain that was his body, right? And then that's where this, this section begins. And then it ends here in 1035. It says, so, we, uh, so do not throw away your confidence. It's going to be richly rewarded. And so our passage begins with this thought of our confidence now in Christ. And it ends with this thought of, of not throwing away the confidence we have in Jesus. And so it just makes sense unto me that that might be the theme of our lesson that if we're going to read a big chunk of Scripture, and the big chunk of Scripture would begin by talking about the newfound confidence we have in Jesus, and it would end by saying, don't let go of the newfound confidence you have in Jesus, that maybe everything between those two statements has to do with the newfound confidence we have in Jesus. So that's our lesson this morning. Jesus brings better confidence. Jesus brings better confidence. Now, to fully understand uh, this section of Scripture, you kind of need to think back on on all that our author has presented to this point. I, I, I can't go over the, the nine months we've been in Hebrews. So so let me give you the, the, the Cliff Notes version, the, the the thing that really stands out. Remember, not long ago, we said Jesus is a better way. In fact, Jesus is the better way. And and we studied the tabernacle. It was just just Hebrews 9, the first five verses, and we talked about the tabernacle. And and the author says, I don't have time to go into it. And we said, we're going to take the time to go into it. And we talked about the tabernacle. And remember, the tabernacle was really just a system of, of, of barriers for the average person to have access to God. Because the average worshiper, you and me, people that show up at church, they had no way to go into the tabernacle. That was only for priests. And only the priests, they could only enter the outer part of the tabernacle. They could go into the first room, okay? But they could never go to that back room. There's that great curtain of separation. And so only the high priest had access there to the most holy place, to the presence of God. And remember, he could only go once a year, and he could never go empty-handed. He always had to go with the blood of bulls and and goats and and with these incense offerings and and quivering in in fear, right? But because of the sacrifice of Christ, we, the average everyday worshiper, now has access into that most holy place and we get to go into the presence of God and we get to come to God empty-handed. We get to now come to God as we are. We don't have to bring any external sacrifices. We don't have to bring anything but ourselves. Our, our messed up, mistake ridden, fall on our face selves, we now get to bring into the presence of the most holy God. So this is the glory of what Jesus has done for us in his once and for all better sacrifice. Christ's sacrifice for us his, his, his being the better way his, his produced now, should produce now within us a confidence that we can now enter into the presence of God and we can do it without fear. Tell you, the high priest, when they tied that rope around him on the Day of Atonement, I think he got a little scared, right? You know, we, we, we like to say, "Oh, I ain't afraid of nothing. I'm not afraid of heights until you climb a 30-foot ladder right? And you're like, ah, it's shaking. Yeah, I'm a little afraid of heights is what I meant to say a little bit. We, we, we say that we're not afraid of God yet. So often when we fall and when we fail, we, we don't come into his presence. We don't open the scriptures. We don't even feel like going to church. Why? Because we don't have confidence in who we are in Christ. And so this morning, I want you to see what this great sacrifice of Jesus has done and the confidence that it should bring us four things. I'm going to try to be brief, but I'm probably going to fail. So here we go. Number one. Number one. In Christ, we can confidently draw near to God the so first thing I want you to see, in Christ we can confidently draw near to God. Verse 19 and 20, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is His body, right? Now, now last week I shared this truth with you. It said God desires people who desire Him. Said, so God desires people who desire Him. And we took that truth from, from Hebrews uh, 10, uh, verse 5 through 7, where, where Jesus uh, is, is uh, our author is quoting Jesus, who is quoting Psalm 40, uh, which, by the way, is fulfilled in Jesus, which we sang about this morning, just in case you're wondering. So that's how it all ties together. And and Jesus, quoting uh, the Psalm of David, Psalm 40, which is fulfilled in him, says, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me, with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. And then I said here, I uh, am... It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. He's saying this is what God wants. God desires people that desire Him, that desire His will. Now, what you may not have caught hidden in that truth is another little bitty truth that's really not little bitty at all. Maybe you didn't catch it because it was hidden there, right? But, But when I say to you, God desires people who desire Him, there's another truth within that. And that truth is this fact that God desires people. God desires you, and, and God desires me. This, this is the story of the Bible, isn't it? That, that, that there's a God that is eternal, that needs nothing... And, and yet he created something, and he created something for his own pleasure. And the something he created is mankind. And he made mankind in his image, and, and he knit him together, and he formed him for a purpose, and that purpose was to be with him. This is the story of the Bible. The God that needed nothing made something for His own pleasure and the something that He made was mankind and He designed mankind to dwell with Him. God desires you. And and, and the crazy, like stupendous grace of God is the fact that though you have rejected Him and though you have rebelled against Him that He still longs for you. And, and and that he he still wants you. Despite all that we, I I just listen to his heart, right? I I want you to hear the heart of this God that is so good. This, this is his heart. So, so we've rebelled against him. We, we've rejected his, his ways. We, we said, listen, I want to do it my way. Yet, hear the heart of God, right? This, this is the Son of God. This is the one sent to reconcile us back unto God because God desires us. And I want you to listen to what Emmanuel, God with us, says when he finds... when God comes and He walks amongst us. This is his message. Ready? Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. This is the message of of God with us, of, of Emmanuel. I desire you. Come to me. You who are weary and weak and tired and overworked and overstressed and overwhelmed and overexposed to the junk of this world. I desire you. Come to me. This is the invitation of God. This is the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. God is seeking you. He is seeking me. God desires you. This is the heart of God written for us. It says, I'm not not as far away as you think. I'm not too busy for you. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am holiness and perfection for your sake. Now come to me for I desire you. And hear me, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we can do just that. We can confidently come to God. We can confidently draw near to the God that created us. We have a way to reclaim that Genesis garden relationship, and and we don't have to cower, and we don't have to beg. Because we don't enter based on our own record. We enter based on Christ's perfect record and his sacrifice for our sakes. And we have confidence that when Jesus says it is finished, it's really finished. And when God's word says by one sacrifice, you were made perfect forever. And God is perfect and can only have perfect things in his presence. You get to come because you are perfect, even though you're still being made perfect. We have confidence in this. This is this this is the glory of Jesus. I think that's why James promises his readers James four eight. He says, "Come near to God; He will come near to you." I, I just want to share this. It's not in here. Uh, some of you are hearing this and you're still struggling with the concept. Confidently approaching God, and you're struggling with the concept. Right? Rightfully so, because you 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 know you're a sinner, right? And so the thought of this confidence coming before God and, and uh, just coming from Uganda and Pastor Stephen that was praying, God, I want to see you, I want to see you, I want to see you, and I'm reading this book, the gospel, that's all about God, I need to see you, I need to see you, I need to see you. And so last night, I'm, I'm just walking through this point and, and everybody's in bed and this is kind of the third time I've gone through it and, and I just overwhelmingly felt the Holy Spirit just like stop and shut up and pray. And so I just cut on my face before the Lord and I'm like, God, I need, I need to see this because, because in, in my heart, in, in, in my flesh, I'm just telling you that I struggle with this. Because you can tell me that I confidently can come, but when I feel like a failure, I don't have confidence. And I don't know what that looks like, God. And I, I just need you to show me. And I got back up and I started going through my sermon one more time. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm just kind of passionately reading through it. And all of a sudden, the door cracks open. It's down the hallway. It's my daughter. And she's not crying. She's not running. She just kind of peeks out her head. And immediately, without even thinking, I said, darling, come on. Faith just runs into me and she jumps into my arms. And she, she immediately just hugs me as tight as she can and falls asleep right on my chest. And I just lifted up my hands and said, thank you, Lord. Because I wanted to see what it looked like. And you've just shown me because this is what I get because of Christ. This is the confidence you have. You are a child. This is our confidence. Isn't that beautiful? In Christ, we can confidently draw near to God. Number two, according to this text, in Christ, we can confidently hold on in the midst of life's difficulties. Christ, we can confidently hold on in the midst of life's difficulties. Verse 23, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. They, they all say, let us, let us, let us, right? This is another let us statement. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Get this, for he who promised is faithful. He is Faithful. Right, and that the context, of course, all this is that they're facing great persecution, this church is. And remember, there were some people that appeared to be believers, but they left. Uh, the Bible would say showing themselves not to truly be of the faith. But the people that are remaining are struggling. And, and they're struggling, and our author is writing them. He's saying, listen, I, I know that it's hard, but you need to hang on, right? And, and so our author reminds them of this great truth about life, and it's this, guys. Life is hard, but God is good. Life is hard, but God is good. And that's what our author is saying. He says, listen, he who promised is, is faithful, so you need to hold on to your hope. And I would just ask people in, in America especially, listen, do you want the gospel like the real gospel? Or do you want the one that makes you feel good? Because we need to decide, because they're very, very different. They're va- in fact, Paul even told Timothy, listen to what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy. He says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers who say what their itching ears want to hear. And I'm here to tell you that's being fulfilled in our midst. And, and there are many people that are gathering around themselves what their itching ears want to hear. And so, so part of that wrong teaching says something to the effect of, of listen, God just wants to bless you. This is, this is the point of the gospel, right? Is that, that you give and that you love God and God is just going to bless you. And you're going to have a wonderful life and a wonderful spouse. And your marriage is going to be great. Your kids are going to be perfect. Your cars are always going to run. Jesus wants you somehow to be prosperous and healthy and happy, even though the majority of the folks that originally followed him and actually obeyed his teachings were hunted down and executed brutally. And I would just ask you to try to take that gospel and lay it on top of the Bible, and and you're going to see that doesn't fit at all. It doesn't fit at all. It it looks a little similar. It talks about Jesus, but there's something sticking out on the side, isn't there? Because that's not what the followers of Jesus experience. Listen, I I, I don't want to burst your bubble, but God's goal for your life isn't happiness, it's holiness. God's goal for your life isn't happiness, it's holiness, because here's the truth. Unless holiness is is, uh, produced within you, you will never be eternally happy. Your joy will always be stolen by every circumstance and wave that crashes into your life. It will be. But if God produces within you holiness... that that produces perseverance, a kind of perseverance that can say, I know what it is to have plenty, and I know what it is to be in want. I've learned to be content in all circumstances. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So here's the truth of the gospel. Jesus came and He died to begin a great restoration process of God. He came to reconcile us, Unto God, He came to, to make a way for us to be reconciled. But, but uh, that restoration process of all things is not finished yet. And it will not be finished until Jesus returns. And if you read your Bible, that process from when He ascended into heaven to when He, he comes back isn't good. And, and it's not glorious. And it's not padded. And, and it's not easy. And Jesus never looked at his disciples and said, listen, okay, so if you follow me, I promise you're going to have a nice house and your car's always going to run and your kids are always going to behave and, and husbands, your wives will always submit to you. I mean, always. And wives, uh, listen, your husband will serve you, I promise. And, and like Jesus just didn't promise that. In fact, he looked at his disciples and said, guess what? The world... Like this place in which you live is going to hate you because of me. But, but, but hey, like take comfort. They hated me first, so it's going to be okay for you. They hated me. He looks at his disciples, and this is what he says, John 16, 33. In the world, you will have trouble... But take heart, because I have overcome the world. So this is a huge part of the, the, the real gospel, is that life is difficult, life is hard, life is trying, especially if you're following Christ. Following Jesus doesn't make your house get bigger, or your car get newer, or your health get better. In fact, following Jesus may mean the opposite of all of those things, but here's what the gospel does mean for us. We will overcome. We do win. We we can hang on to the glory of God until our last breath or His return, Jesus gives us that confidence. That's the confidence we have in Christ. No matter what life throws your way, in Jesus you will overcome one way or another. That's why Paul says, listen, to live is Christ. If I'm living, I'll overcome the things of the world. But to die is gain. Because when I die... Guess what? I've overcome the things of the world. In Christ, that's what it means to overcome. That's what it means to overcome. That no matter what life throws our way, we have this confidence. We will overcome one way or another. Either I'll overcome and and I'll continue to live here, which which is great for your sake, or I will overcome and I will be with Jesus, which is great for my sake. Either way, either way you're an overcomer. Number three, we might make it through all four. <clears throat> In Christ, we can confidently meet together and encourage one another. In Christ, we can confidently meet together and encourage one another. Verse 24 and 25 and says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. touched on this thought last week that the enemy wants to attack your identity in Christ. By the way, if you weren't here last week, you should go listen to that sermon. It's going to help you understand this one. The enemy wants to attack your identity in Christ. He wants to attack what God has declared you to be. And we looked at verse 14 when it says, Because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So that is what God has declared you to be, perfect forever. Now that scripture also declares that you're being made holy. Now perfect forever, it's in the perfect tense. It was one time, it was done forever. It doesn't need to be repeated. You are perfect. In Christ, you are perfect. In Christ, you are also being made holy. You say, how does that work? And as far as God is concerned, you have been declared perfect forever. This is where our confidence comes from. Okay, As far as you are concerned, as you live and breathe and walk on this earth following Jesus, you're being made holy. You're being made more perfect every single day if you're abiding in Christ. Here's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to forget the first declaration that you are perfect forever. And he wants you to focus on the second declaration which says you are being made holy. And so he's going to point to you. He's going to say, really? You're being made holy? Because it doesn't look like that to me. Oh, oh, really? You're being made holy? Because you're still doing the same junk you did before you met Jesus. How holy are you really being made? Maybe you're not really even saved. You see the enemy? Now listen, the enemy and the Holy Spirit are both going to point out sin. But the Holy Spirit points out sin so that you might be built up. The, the enemy points it out so that you might feel about this big. So that you might throw up your hands and say, I surrender, I give up, I'm not really a Christ follower, I guess, I quit. Two totally different voices, both pointing out the same thing. So here's the deal. We began to talk about this. And we said, listen, the enemy points out this this part, right? He points out our sin. He tries to discourage us from coming into the presence of God. That's what he tries to do. The enemy tries to discourage you from coming into the presence of God. He wants you to feel too bad to pray, too bad to read. And he definitely, hear me, he wants you to feel too guilty to come to church. Why? Why? Because he doesn't want you in the presence of God. Why? Because when you're in the presence of God, you might be reminded of the declaration that God has made over you, which is the fact that you are perfect forever. But the enemy doesn't want you to focus on that. He wants you to focus on your failures. So so hear me. This is our problem. This is why it says, Let us spur one another on with good deeds, and let us not stop meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, because when you isolate yourself, you don't get any of that. When you isolate yourself, you isolate yourself from people that will spur you on. But more importantly, because you're not praying on your own because you feel guilty. Because you're not reading the scripture on your own because you feel guilty. Because you've taken your eyes off what God has declared and you focus them on your own works. Because you're not doing it on your own, the enemy doesn't want you to come to church. Because when two or more are gathered, he is also present. And the enemy wants to keep you out of the presence of God. The devil doesn't want you to go to church. He doesn't want you to be in God's presence. He wants you to feel too dirty to to go, too guilty to go, too tired to go, too out of place to go, too mad at someone to go, too alone to go. Why? Because when you go, you're going to get encouraged. Because when you go, you're going to get reminded of who you truly are in Jesus. Are you better or you're in the wrong place? Here's what I'd say to you. I I want you to come to church. I want you to come to church when you have a great week, and I want you to come to church when you have the worst week possible. I mean it. You'd have a First Baptist Church Elgin bumper sticker, which we don't actually have. You could have one on the the back of your car, and you could have the greatest week, and you could let everybody in that traffic jam go in front of you. I'd still want you in church. You could have that same bumper sticker. You could cut somebody off, unroll your window, wave at them with one finger, say words that Jesus doesn't really approve of, and I'd still want you in church. Because what we need isn't more law, what we need is the presence of God in our lives. And you are perfect, even as messed up as you are. Isn't that, isn't that glorious? I, I am a perfect mess. <laughs> and so are you. And just like that little girl that cracked open her door and came running. That's who you are to him. He just crack open the door and you come running. And you come running without fear. And you come running without cowering. And there are open arms waiting for you. In Christ we can confidently meet together. Encourage one another. You know, some people uh, feel like they, uh, they need to change before they can come. And that's not just unbelievers. So many Christians I've met—they're struggling with something. They feel I got to get that right before I can go back to church. The only problem with that is it's completely unbiblical. You remember the story of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was despised and rejected. I mean, he—he was hated by all of his Jewish count. I mean, and he was a crook. I mean, he was. You know the way tax collectors worked is basically they had to give the Romans X amount. But they didn't have to charge X amount. They could charge whatever they wanted to, and they got to keep all the extra. Zacchaeus had a big old house. He he abused his his fellow Jews. Now, when Jesus came walking by, Zacchaeus, who's a a wee little man, is up in a tree because nobody will let him get to the front. He's that despised. And when Jesus sees him, he doesn't say, Hey, Zacchaeus, if, if this very moment from where you are you will confess that you have cheated all of your friends, and, and if, if at this very moment you will return to them what you 've stolen, and if at this very then I will eat with you. Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and says Zacchaeus come down today I will eat with you and after being invited to Jesus Zacchaeus is radically changed by Jesus and the same is true with you so don't feel like you've got to get that that sin problem under wraps to come to church come to church in the presence of God and accept the invitation because this is what God spoke when he was here you are invited I desire you come to me so come to him and let him take care of the rest, and he will. That's the way the Bible works. That's the way that God works unto you. Number four, we'll be done. Barely. In Christ, we can be confident our perseverance will be richly rewarded. In Christ, we can be confident our perseverance will be richly rewarded. Verse 35 and 36. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. Here's the prosperity portion of the gospel. Ready? This is the only part. Here we go. Here's the prosperity portion. When we persevere, there will be great reward. (laughs) We will receive what he has pr- promised for us. We're going to get God. We're, we're going to get the life of God. We're going to get the reward of God. We're going to have treasure in heaven. I mean, I mean it, it's good for those who persevere. The prosperity is not here, it's not the folk. It doesn't mean that we may not have some prosperity. We may. But the heart of the Bible, when Jesus speaks about treasure, he's always talking about treasure in heaven. Did you ever notice that? He's always talking about treasure in another place. I love what James says, James 1.12. He says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. For those that persevere, there's great reward, rich reward. Say, what what does that look like, Pastor? I I don't know. 30, 60, 100-fold your life? Sounds like a pretty good investment to me. I don't know about you. My 401K is not doing that hot, (laughs) right? You know, I, I rejoice if I can get 5%. 5%. This is what we settle for, 5%. If we get 10, we're jumping for joy, Jesus says, listen, I will give you 30 times, 60 times, 100 times what you put into this kingdom. That'll be your reward. Friends, we're investing in the wrong things. We're investing in the wrong things. So what do we do? Let me give you some application real quick. I know we got to go. I'm just going to ignore my watch from this point on. Okay. Number one. Number one. I want to encourage you to draw near to God. Draw near to God. Everything starts here. Don't be ashamed, right? Just just draw near. This is the confidence that we have, that we come before God, not on our record, but on, on Christ's record. We're called to abide in Christ. And I met with a group of men this week, and our question was, what does that look like? What does that look like? And so here's our prayer this week. Maybe you can join with us in the prayer, right? God, help me love you more. That's our prayer. It's like simple to the heart, to the gut of it all. To the the gut of Christianity, God, I need to love you more and I don't love you enough and I recognize it in my life and I'm not sure how to get there, but I know that you provide the power for it, that you give me the heart for it and I'm confessing that this sinful heart that that, that longs for all the things of the world isn't going to do it on its own, so God, help me love you more. That's my prayer this week. That's my prayer this week. I hope it's your prayer too, right? Right? Draw near to God. Ask God to help you love Him more and see what He does. Second, I would challenge you to remember who wins, right? When you're struggling and you're there in life and you're in the middle of the ditch and you're thinking about giving up or giving in, I just want you to remember you overcome. And here's the thing, whatever you're facing, we're facing crazy things in our world, right? Right? I mean we, we have people in our church, we have people in our families, they're facing cancer, right? But hear me, if they have Jesus, I'm telling you they will overcome one way or the other. One way or the other. And we think, well, well, how terrible though if 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 they lose their physical life, they gain Christ. Right? That's not terrible. Are you heaven is now terrible? Heaven is something we pray people out of? Pray me into heaven. You know what I'm saying? Like, put me on that prayer request list, because I'm ready. I'm I'm an overcomer. You're an overcomer. So so no matter what you're facing in life, stop sticking your head in the sand and acting like it's the end. It's not the end. You will overcome it. You'll either overcome it physically and, and you'll face the next challenge or Jesus will take you home and you'll overcome it forever. One way or the other, just remember who wins. Act like it. That's what our world needs to see. When tragedy strikes, they need to see people that love Jesus standing firm going, yeah, so what? Took my house. Took my home. Took someone I loved. I stand here. How can you stand here? Because I've overcome all of this. Because either this will pass and I will continue to stand on the word of God or God will take me next. Praise be his name. You're an overcomer. Remember who wins. Lastly, I would just challenge you. Make church a priority and encourage others to do the same. Every church I know, every church I know, did you know that their attendance records are always lower than their membership? Do you know that? It means that the people that come through the doors on Sunday are always less than the number that they actually have as members. Is there anyone else that thinks that's backwards? Is anybody? Cause we we have we have we have guests. We have people that have been visiting for for for, for months, and, and so we have non-members here, and then we have members that, that come and will go. Does anybody else think that's crazy to me? Because there's like a standard for church membership, and you gotta love Jesus, you gotta give your life to Jesus, you're gonna be baptized. And now you're a church member, right? So so like not everybody's there, but those that are there, those that have quote unquote met the standard. Yet so we've got X number of people that are members of a church, and yet we number of them members that show up. To, that's broken, isn't it? Because why? Because the enemy is winning. Why? Because we've forgotten our identity in Christ and we feel ashamed to come to church or we don't like the music or we don't like the carpet or we don't like the green windows. Deal with it, people. Suck it up and worship Jesus. Right? I mean, so this is important. You, you can't do it on your own. You need the presence of God in your life. And you need the people of God to spur you on. So I'm going to say this to you. Maybe you're here and it's the first Sunday you've been here in a while. And now you're thinking, well, that pastor knew that I was going to show up. Somebody called him and told him. And then he preached this message right at me. I'm angry. I'm dirt and spitting. I'm going to Here it comes. That's fine. You can be angry at me. Send me a dirty email. But hear me. God loves you and he desires you. And he doesn't desire you once in a while. He desires you Constantly. And he desires you to worship with the people of God because you need people to spur you on because you cannot do it on your own and you will not do it on your own. Okay? So here's what I want you to do make a commitment this week. Summertime's coming, it's easy. We're going to have some vacation. I'm just going to sleep in, it's going to be easy. Make a commitment. Be here. It's your first commitment. Here's your second commitment. Look around. <laughs> Find a handful of people that you, you personally will take the responsibility for spurring on. You personally. Not I'm going to email the pastor and ask him to call them. The pastor's got lots of calls to make already. It says, let us encourage one another on. Us is you. Includes me. That's you. Would you pick a handful of people? Make it your goal to spur them on, to encourage them not to forsake the assembly, as some are in the habit of doing. All right, do you guys pray with?